579, the lily of the valley. Stand with me if you will. Today's a bright, beautiful, sunny day. Good thing we're spending it for the Lord. 579. We'll sing nice and amazingly loud. <laughs> Found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. In a lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. Hallelujah. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He all my griefs has taken and all my sorrows borne. In temptation he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken, and all my idols torn. From my heart, and now he keeps me by his power. Oh, all the world forsake me, and Satan tempt me sore. Through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, got nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill. Then Weeping up to glory to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Amen. Praise the Lord. Mr. Elliot, would you pray for us? Amen. Thank you. Please stay standing with me, if you will. Turn to hymn book stuff 334, please and thank you. At Calvary. I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. 
burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned, then I trembled at the law I spurned, till my guilty soul a flooring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that draws salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to men. Oh, the mighty gulf that God spent at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Seated. Thank you for your singing. All right, we'll have Pastor come up and do announcements. All right, just uh, a couple of things here for announcements. Um, of course, it's kind of like the weekly thing. Continue praying about our building project and just for wisdom and direction and provision and all those things. Uh, for that, that would be a, a tremendous blessing. Um, also, um, ladies' meeting tomorrow night. So that will be at 6 p.m. I don't know why. I can never remember if it's 6 or 6.30. But I think it's because guys is 7.30. And then, so it just messes me up. 6 o'clock. We might have to change it so I can keep it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 6 p.m. ladies' meeting tomorrow night. And then men's prayer breakfast. Uh, we're going to be gone the last Saturday, or we're coming home the last Saturday of the month, so we'll do it the first Saturday of next month. It's what we did this month, uh, and I actually kind of liked it being the first Saturday, so I don't know that we'll stick with that, but maybe. We'll see. But uh, So that'll be the first Saturday. It's July 1st, um, if I remember correctly. Um, so that'll be men's prayer breakfast um, coming up fairly soon. Well, I guess in a few weeks, a couple few weeks. So stay tuned for that. That'll be fun, be a blessing. Uh, I think other than that, that is the majority of the announcements, but I'd ask if you think of it, keep praying or start praying for our tent meeting, which will be the last week of August. Um, it'll be uh, same time as it's been the last couple years. It'll start on a Sunday. Um, that Sunday we're under the tent for Sunday school. Sunday morning we have our lunch afternoon service and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. So we do four days, 7 p.m. service. We do dinner. I think we do it a little earlier just because people are outside. Does that sound right? 
I don't remember. I, we'll, we'll, we'll get that figured out between now and the end of August. It is still 6? Okay. So we'll probably stick with the 6 p.m. So that'll be, uh, and, it, and we have the Thren family come, which a lot of you know them. Not everyone does, but maybe everyone does. But they play instruments. There's 11 kids and two parents, of course. Kind of has to. Anyway, so the kids all play. A bunch of the kids, I don't know why I'm specifying that. The kids, a lot of them play instruments. What's that? Right, yes, right, just to be clear. Uh, so they play, you know, the kids, some of the kids. Dad plays a guitar. Uh, a couple of the kids play guitars. They got violins. They got mandolins. They got cello now. That's a new one. And, of course, the piano. Um, and, uh, you know, their music is always a blessing, but so is Brother Mark's preaching. Um, he's a tremendous Bible preacher. And I've been helped every year we have the meeting. So... Uh, it dawned on me this morning while I was putting stuff together, I said, i got to start thinking about our mailers that we send out each year and start looking at getting those all together. So um, just be uh, uh, thinking on that, praying about that meeting. Um, and I know I don't announce it every week, but I'm going to announce it today. We also have family camp. I don't have the extra flyer up here. We have family camp the end, no, second, third week of September, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yeah, you know, you just had a meeting. So for those who don't know, it's at South Liberty um, because they have the facilities to host multiple churches in an outdoor setup. They've got um, some folks bring campers, some folks tent out, uh, some folks travel back and forth like us because we have a million dogs and got to feed them and let them out and all that kind of stuff. So um, anyways, it starts on a Wednesday night. So a lot of times Wednesday afternoon, folks are there setting up their camping stuff and everything. So we, we move our Wednesday night service out there. So even if you can't come for the you know whole week, if you want to come for the Wednesday night service, it's under a tent, camp, family camp, hint, hint, you know, under the tent. Uh, usually great, great messages. And then, so then Thursday, we start with breakfast, some morning sessions. I think it goes right pretty much till lunch. And then we have, yes, Thursday and Friday are the full days, ending with a p.m. service, three meals on site. Saturday, we have breakfast, uh, not really a preaching service. Some of the kids have given devotionals the last few years. I say kids, younger preachers and kids. And then um, we have some testimony time. And uh, it's just been really good. And the emphasis, the focus is on the family and growing as a family, whether you have kids or not, a lot of times it's great for husbands and wives. You know, they deal with men and women and the roles or parents and kids. And, and it's just a good time of fellowship with other Christians that we don't get to see all the time. We get to build relationships with some other Christians. And anyways, I'd encourage you, if you can, keep it in the back of your mind. And even if you can't come the whole week, um, there is typically a cost associated, which is really to cover the food costs uh, because Wednesday night supper, Thursday night breakfast, lunch, dinner, Friday breakfast, lunch, dinner, and we're feeding between 100 and 150 people each time. So it's, it's pretty expensive to do all that. So uh, it covers the food, and then they do bring in a guest preacher. Um, so, and I, and I think it really just covers food, to be honest. So anyways... 
they do have a website, familycamp.me, I think, but I can get it for you if you're interested. Um, so I just, every once in a while, try to just put that plug in there. This year, I can't remember the theme. Profitable, yeah, profitable is the theme this year. Um, so, and they're not talking about the charges for family camp. They're talking about <laughs> the word of God is profitable. Um, right, that's the... That's the theme for this year. So, anyway, some things to think on, a couple big things coming up in the somewhat near future. And, uh, anyways, I think that's all I'm going to announce for today. I could keep going with new other stuff, but we won't. That's what we'll call it good for now. So, uh, ushers, if you would, come on down. And we have a special song during the offering today that's going to be a blessing. And, Caleb, can you pray for the offering, bud? God, thank you for this time with day, Lord. Please bless the offering, Lord. Please bless the sermon, Lord. And please bless the hearts of this message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please turn your hymn book to 391. Please and thank you. 391, Sweet Hour Prayer. Sweet Hour Prayer. Please stand with me if you will.
That is always a blessing. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's good having a good group of adults, too. We like that also. Huh, that's interesting. It never stopped, huh? Well, it helps, too, if I turn this on. There we go. All right. So we are, if you didn't notice from the thing there, Mark 14 this morning, and I have a confession to make. <clears throat> I had this message going. This has never happened before. I use this software to type out my sermon, which also makes the slides at the same time as I'm working on my sermon, which is really nifty. Saves me time, but it still takes a lot of time. So I had Sunday morning message. I was like five to ten minutes away from being done. Our next passage in Ephesians. I had probably three and a half hours into this message, and I don't know what happened, but I leaned forward to look at something on the screen, and when I did, my left hand, my pinky ring finger, slid on the bottom of the keyboard, and it was gone. I mean, no joke, gone. And I'm like, huh, how did that happen? I mean, it was like a flash. I don't know what happened. 
It was like, I don't know if it highlighted it or what happened, but I had my passage at the title and I had a little S and that was it. And I thought, oh, just undo. So I go and I click undo typing and I'm like, well, that didn't work. Undo typing. Huh. Redo typing. Redo typing, redo typing, redo typing, okay. Undo typing, undo typing, and I mean, I'm going back and forth, and nothing is working. So I contacted their technical support to say, hey, I know this saves like every 60 seconds automatically. Is there any way for me to go back like five minutes ago to the, that save of it and not the most recent? And I'm like, no, it's gone. So I was pretty disappointed anyway. So I said, I, after a little while, I said, well, maybe the Lord has something else in mind for us on Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's what we're going with. The Lord has something else. So we're in Mark this morning. Oh, boy. Mark 14, beginning in verse 32. And there's this common theme lately. The Lord just keeps bringing me to prayer. And uh, maybe there's a reason for that. Um, maybe we need, maybe we, some folks, need to work on our prayer lives. And Okay, let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. I will say one more thing. I really love the music, uh, having some additional instrumentalists and having some other folks doing specials and you know, I honestly, I have specifically been praying for God to provide more music in our church and just uh, see that, to see that happening uh, is just a real blessing. So thank you, girls. I know it is not easy to get up in front of people and do that, but you did a wonderful job. It was really a blessing, and, uh, and uh, I appreciate it very much. So it's a blessing. All right. Mark 14, beginning in verse number 32, it says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them asleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the scriptures that we're reading and preaching out of today. I pray, Father, that you would apply your word, apply your message to our hearts and to our lives. I pray that you would accomplish your will today and that, um, Father, 
the seed of your word would fall on good ground and would take root in our hearts and our lives and would produce the fruit that you desire to produce in each and every one of us. Father, we know that only you can do it through your word and through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just ask you to do just that. We pray that you'd minister to our hearts, that you'd touch us, and that you'd accomplish your perfect will today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. So if you haven't, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to look at the Garden Prayer of Christ. And uh, <clears throat> I tell you, I went to the eye doctor the other day. Sorry to sidetrack. Apparently, I need bifocals now. So these aren't good for me at distance or at close anymore. So, <laughs> I mean, it's better than without them. But when I have them on, like I'm reading in my Bible, and it's still really blurry. So I'm trying to, I'm just like, I can't win. So my font on my notes is like size big, you know, <laughs> so I can read it, and it's still blurry, but I'm, and of course, now that I know that, after going to the eye doctors, these are driving me crazy, because I know I could see better if I had different glasses, so prayerfully, they'll be in soon, but it's going to take getting used to, so then I'm going to have that adjustment, so that'll be fun, anyways, so, uh, so if I look like I'm really irritated up here, or I'm doing this kind of stuff, maybe I need to hold it out here, no, I'm just kidding, it's, uh, yeah, right, because these, these aren't even the right prescription anymore. They're like five years old, so anyways, it's, it's been a treat, but we'll get through it. We have been every week, so we will do it all right, so <laughs> I don't complain much about them. No, I'm just kidding. So if you haven't figured it out, we're looking at the Garden Prayer of Christ, but to really get what I believe the Lord has for us this morning, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of reverse. We're going to reverse a little bit in our passage to set the context and kind of understand a little bit better what is going on. So we're going to lay some groundwork here. Not long before we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we just read, Jesus has his disciples in the upper room, and they're partaking of the first Lord's Supper, if you will. He's establishing what uh, we often call communion or the Lord's Supper. This is where Jesus tells his disciples, one of them, we're going to betray him. Uh, we just, you know, we're familiar with that passage, maybe, if not, well, just take my word for it. Uh, so, one of his disciples, or, or actually really all of them, ask him a question. Look with me in verses 26 of Mark 14, down through 31. You don't have to take my word for this, we'll, we'll look at some of it. It says, And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. So, let's look at these verses real quick. So Jesus tells the disciples, I don't want you to have to just take my word for it, so bear with me real quick. Uh, so they get together, 
Christ institutes the Lord's Supper. Where is it here? Well, we just read it. All you shall be offended of me because of this night. But when he tells them that someone's going to betray him, well, anyways, just take my word for it, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to keep you here all day while I'm trying to find what I'm looking for, so bear with me. All right, 18, thank you. I told you these glasses aren't working very good for me, right? And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Thank you. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him, One by one, is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. So I wanted us to see the contrast between the, the way that his disciples respond to him. So here he tells them, someone's going to betray me. What's their response? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Well, down where we just read a moment ago, when Christ tells them that one of them are going to, or that they're all going to be offended of him this night, verse 29, but Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And then the, the rest of the disciples in verse 31, likewise also said they all. Well, to read that whole verse again, verse 31, Peter, but he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise said they all. So this is, we see this contrast between the two of them, and I just wanted us to see that. So next they go to the Mount of Olives, where Christ goes on to inform the disciples that they would all be offended because of him that night. We just read that. Their attitude, I even put it up on the screen here, their attitude towards the possibility of their rejection of Christ changed significantly from the dinner table to this point here, which brings us to the garden. So, first, Christ has a desire to pray. We see his desire to pray in verses 32 through 35. We read them, but we'll look at these three verses again. It says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So we see this tremendous heart for prayer in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, we know that we're supposed to have a heart for prayer, but what an example our Savior is to us and that he also prayed. And he had a heart for prayer. He had a desire to pray and commune with his Father in that way. Now, did he have to? He chose to. Why would he do that? Well, at the very least, to give us an example. So that we would learn when things are difficult, when things are tough, we should pray. Was that the only time Christ prayed? No. He prayed just to commune with his Father as well. So for us, another example, we should just commune with our Father in prayer. Um, he asked some of the disciples to sit while he goes a little further down the road here and prays, a little further into the garden. And uh, that's another good example of separating ourselves and getting ourselves alone with the Lord when we pray. Now, sometimes Eric and I will pray next to each other, but we're praying, we're not talking, we're not you know, having conversation. But once the kids are up, or if we have dogs running around, sometimes, you know, our little dogs would jump up, and next thing you know, one of them's in your, you know, like this, and it's like, you know, 
makes it really hard to focus on praying when you've got distractions or the kids in the kitchen getting something for breakfast and they're slamming the toaster oven and popping it down and banging dishes and, you know. So, and I'm not saying that, you know, they can't do that stuff. I'm just saying when we're going to pray, it's good for us to get to where we're alone and we don't have all those distractions. Um, so we can really focus and be alone with the Lord. So, second thing we see is Christ bears his burdens through his prayer. And we all carry burdens, right? We all carry weight that this life puts on us, um, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual, whether it be financial, whether it be relational. You know, we all just have these burdens that we carry, these weights. And sometimes they are from something we're dealing with right now. Sometimes they're things from our past. Sometimes they're just they're hardships that we are carrying, these weights. And, uh, well, Christ handled those weights through prayer. In verse 33, uh, down through 36, it says, And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. All things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And then in verse 39, again, and again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. So Christ was, it says, sore amazed and very heavy. Those are, that's a pretty strong description. What does that mean? It means he was distressed and heavy hearted because of the burden that he was bearing. We understand that the burden he was bearing is he was just a short time away from going to the cross of Calvary and taking on himself the sin of all the world, of every human being who had ever lived and would ever live. He was about to take upon himself all of that. And in so doing, or in preparing to so do, he was carrying a heavy weight. He knew... now. We might think, well, this is God, so does God feel pain? He did, because he was also 100% man. That's hard for us to wrap our brains around. How could it be 100% man and 100% God at the same time? Well, there's this little thing that we learn we have to have as Christians. It's called faith. <laughs> we believe it by faith. We might not fully understand how can he be 100% God and 100% man. Well, by faith, we believe. That's what the Bible teaches, is that he was both. So while he knew what Peter was thinking, he also felt the pain of him denying him. While he knew what Judas was going to do because he's God, so he has the ability to know what's going to take place, he also felt the hurt of the betrayal of someone he loved and who he was about to give his life for. While he knew he was going to be scourged and have his beard ripped out of his face and have a crown of thorns pressed upon his head and be nailed to a cross and upright on that cross until he suffocated, essentially, while he knew all that was going to take place, he still felt the scourging. He still felt the crown of thorns. He still felt his beard being pulled. He still felt the nails being uh, hammered in, he still felt all those things just as you or I would, as 100% man. And that's difficult for us sometimes to wrap our brain around, but he did. He felt it all just 
the same way you and I would. So why would he pray, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. It was a heavy load to carry. You and I can't bear our own sins, let alone the sins of the whole world. Every murderer, every uh, pedophile, every uh, sodomite, you name it. He took it all on himself. What did he do to deserve it? Goose egg. Zero. He never had an impure thought. He never spoke a sinful word. He never had a sinful thought. He never committed a sinful act. He did nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing. He perfectly kept the law and never failed to obey everything that he was supposed to obey as a man in order to be sinless. He was sinless. So that is, that is mind-blowing to comprehend somebody who is perfect, that did not have to die, chose not only to die. It wasn't like he went to sleep and didn't wake up. He chose not only to die, but to die a horrific death. And in so doing, took upon the sins of all the people of the world who many, well, Actually, let me say this. Probably not just many, but most of the people he died for would reject him. He even died for the people who put him on the cross. The ones who drove the nails. The one who scourged him, pulled his beard, pressed the crown of thorns, mocked him as they were preparing him to be crucified. I mean, he even died for their sins. And if they would come to him in faith, he would forgive them. That's hard for us to comprehend sometimes. That's why when it says in, uh, I think I'm drawing a blank, but I think it's in Philippians. Uh, how's that verse go, Elijah? I think you have it memorized. Even so, forgive as Christ forgave you. I can't think of how it starts. Ephesians 4.32. One to another tenderhearted. There we go. So we forgive because Christ forgiven us. And in so having forgiven us when we didn't deserve it, someone doesn't have to deserve our forgiveness. That's hard for us. I, I'm, I'm on a rabbit trail, forgive me, but that's hard for us to forgive someone when it, we haven't deemed them worthy or justified of receiving our forgiveness. Well, you haven't shown me you deserve it. Do they have to? Did we have to demonstrate to Christ that we deserved his forgiveness? No. By grace through faith, right? You know what grace is? It is unmerited favor. It's rece receiving something we do not deserve. And salvation, as sure as I'm standing here, none of us deserve it. But according to Romans 5, I forget how many times exactly it refers to it as a gift or a free gift. You know what's special about a gift? We don't have to pay for it. It's free. That's what makes it a gift. Don't deserve salvation, but it has been given freely. Paid for by someone else. That's what a gift is, right? We didn't have to buy it ourselves. Someone else bought it for us. That's what Christ did on the cross. He bought salvation for you and I so we can have it for free. So, I got a sidetrack there, but... 
Forgiveness. Well, we can pray for forgiveness. That's, what we're, that's how we're connecting that. We can ask God for forgiveness. So he was sore amazed, heavy-hearted, carrying this burden. It's been asked why Christ was in such a state. He came to die, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But again, he was also 100% man. Hebrews 4.15, if you'll look over here with me. Hebrews chapter number 4. And verse number 15 says, For we have not an high priest. You know who our high priest is? It's Jesus Christ. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So what's that saying? That's saying that our high priest, which is Jesus Christ, he's the one who, when we sin, goes to the Father and says, here's the payment for that sin the blood that I shed on the cross of Calvary. That's what the high priest used to do. He'd go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to appease God for the sins. Well, Christ did that for you and I when he shed his blood. It's been covered. It's been paid for. So, once for all, that's right. Hebrews 9 or, I think it's 10, 10, 9 maybe. So, uh, Christ had dealt with the same temptations you and I did. Uh, remember when, when Satan tried to tempt him in the wilderness when he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? What does the Bible say that he did? Uh, Satan came along, Christ is starving, and he says, turn this stone into bread. Uh, he starts offering him all these things, the kingdoms of the world. and um, Christ, of course, did not allow him to be tempted, but the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. According to 1 John, that's how Satan tempts us. Well, he tempted Christ the same way. Um, he's been tempted the same way you and I have. Over in uh, chapter 5 of Hebrews, verses 5 through 9, it says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Just to be clear, begotten doesn't mean born other than it means raised from the dead. Christ is the first begotten of the dead, the Bible says. He was raised. He was the first one to be raised. Um, so as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a fun study, but we're not going to take the time today. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. You catch that? Jesus Christ feared what was coming. In his flesh, being 100% man, would it not be natural for someone knowing they were about to endure what Christ was going to endure, would it not be natural for a man to fear what was coming? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I think we put Christ in the category solely of God carrying around flesh that he wouldn't have been affected by the things that we would be affected by. So we think, well, he had it easier. Or it was, according to Hebrews, he was afraid of what was about to take place. Taking on the sins of the whole world. That's something to fear. 
knowing what he was about to endure. Verse 8, though he were a son, capital S, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So, how do you and I obey him? Faith. <laughs> by faith, we believe. That's what we need to obey. Um, so when Christ was carrying the heaviest, I don't think I, there you go. When Christ was carrying the heaviest burden of all, it says his soul was exceeding sorrowful unto death. So what does he do? He gets on his face and prayer. You know that song, Take It to the Lord in Prayer? What an example to us that even Christ, when he was afraid because of what he was going through, what he was about to endure, he prayed. And you and I can do the same thing. Thirdly, we see the apostles' weakness in prayer. Back in our text, verse 34, And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Verse 37, And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Question mark. Couldest not thou watch one hour? Question mark. We sang a few moments ago, sweet hour of prayer. Verse 38, the first part, watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. So after Christ shares how burdened he is, so they didn't, they didn't, let me back up. They were not unaware that Christ was bearing a heavy burden because he expressed it to them. They were able to see his countenance. We just said he was afraid. Do you think they'd ever seen Christ afraid before? I doubt it. I mean, maybe, but the Bible doesn't say he had fear often. The only record we really have where the Bible says that he feared was in preparation to his crucifixion. So I, I suspect they never saw him sweat drops of <coughs> blood before. I suspect they had not seen him in the situation that he was in here bringing them out here to the garden, asking them to pray, saying, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. I suspect they'd not heard him use that terminology before. Surely they must have recognized or sensed there was something different about where Christ was at at this moment. Peter, James, and John were the inner three. Doesn't sound like from our text they were all that far from where Christ went to pray possible they would have heard him at the very least heard the spirit or the uh, the passion in which Christ was praying do you know the reality is sometimes we're so drowsy that we miss cues we're distracted so we miss cues what what's the disciple situation well Christ just told them they're all going to be offended at him that night he just told them someone's going to betray him that night. Maybe they were more focused on themselves than they were on him. So when he said, Terry, you here, watch and pray, because I'm exceeding sorrowful unto death, and I'm going to go down here and fall on my face and pray and call out to my father, and the disciples are standing there going, is it us? Am I the one from the screen? Boy, I'm awfully tired. There was a lot of sugar or carbs in that meal we just ate, and it's knocking me right out. And I know he said to pray, but it's more like I'm going to snore. You know, that's, 
Sometimes what happens? Christ comes back, finds them sleeping. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. You know, we ought to have an attitude and a spirit of prayer. We should frequently be praying. And even throughout the day, you know, if we're really filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit as the day goes on, we're going to be moved to prayer. Now, I'm not saying every five minutes we need to fall on our face and, you know, at work and all of a sudden our coworker walks in and we're laying on our face praying. I'm not talking about that. But we could be doing something. We could be pounding nails or we could be washing dishes or we could be, uh, you know, cooking a meal and the Lord pricks our heart about something and we could pray while we're working. We could just talk with the Lord. Maybe God brings someone to mind that we know could use prayer and we pray. And that moment, we don't have to stop what we're doing. We don't have to, you know, um, it's good if we would take time and get on our faces or on our knees and pray to God. But throughout the day, we can't do that all the time, but we can talk to God anytime during the day and be behind the wheel. Lord, this guy in front of me, he keeps cutting me off, and I'm getting really frustrated, and he can't maintain his speed. We're going 10 over the speed limit or 5 over the speed limit, and then we're doing 20 under the speed limit, and I can't pass him. I can't get around him, and I'm starting to lose my temper. Lord, help me to keep a good testimony. Why are you shaking your head so big? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Help me to keep a good testimony. Uh, you know, we can, we can pray that way. I, vehicles, Andy, I'm not picking on you. It's, I, I, get frustrated in the, I, I get frustrated in the vehicle, uh, and that's why I'm there over here making faces and stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's, I don't know if it's a guy thing or it's an everybody thing. I don't know. Erica doesn't drive with me in the car that much, so. She's a closet angry driver. No, I'm just kidding. She's not. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So, uh, anyways, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. We can talk to the Lord and ask him to help us throughout the day. You know, maybe we think something we shouldn't think, or we see something we shouldn't see, or we hear something we shouldn't hear. We can ask the Lord to help get that thought or those words or that image or whatever it might be out of our heads out of our minds, and we can pray and ask Him to help us with those things. Maybe we see somebody, and the Lord puts them on our heart. Lord, help me to be a, a testimony and a witness, and we can go talk to that person. Or maybe they're driving out of the parking lot, and we see them, and for whatever reason, God pricks our heart. Lord, would you give an opportunity to me or someone to share our faith with them? Maybe the next time you go door knocking, oh, hey, you know, maybe God will just work it out. That's the next door you knock on when you go out on Saturday morning. So, anyways, I know I'm... <clears throat> so, this battle of being sleepy may be physical or it may be spiritual. Maybe spiritually we are drowsy. You know, yes, physically we can be, but maybe spiritually we are drowsy. And when we should be praying, when we should be in His Word, when we should be in church, or we should be doing something, we're not, because it's just not a priority to us. Because spiritually, we're just tired. Maybe not because we've been doing a lot, but just because we're tired. Maybe we're lazy a little bit spiritually, and it's just not that important to us. You know, sometimes we have decisions to make, and we're so set in our way, on our way, that we don't even seek God's wisdom on it. We just, we've just decided. 
Ah, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I want to do. And we don't even counsel the Lord. We think we know without even asking Him. Christ commands them multiple times to pray. His will was for them to watch, stay awake and alert, and pray. In our, in our text, in verse 40 of Mark, it says in uh, 14, it says, And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. Why didn't they know what to answer him? What happens to you when you first wake up? Someone talks to you, and all you hear is like, wah, 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 you know, that's what happens when Erica wakes up, and she's like, bling, ready to go, up and at him, and wah, 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 <laughs> that's what I hear, and I'm like, coffee number one, coffee number two, <laughs> you know, and maybe I can follow her at that point, but, uh, you know, they just woke up, and you know, it's even worse when it's like a little nap. Sometimes you just get a little nap and you wake up from that. And some, for me anyways, sometimes I'm worse than if I just stayed awake. Yeah. You know, it takes me longer to get with it. And these guys, they just fall asleep for the second or third time here in, the, in a short period of time, in, within an hour. Because Christ said, watch here and pray for an hour. Couldn't you watch for one hour? So within an hour, they fall asleep two, three times. They're probably really out of it, have no idea what's going on. Maybe that's why Peter responds by chopping the guy's ear off, because he's still not really with it, and he just, huh, oh, you know, I'm going to do something about this, and he just hacks the guy's ear off. I, but the results of, uh, of this situation, we're going to see here in a moment, the result of being sleepy when it comes to our uh, to prayer life gets us in trouble, and that's our next thought, is the consequences of a weak prayer life. Verse 41, and he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. That's a, you know, that's, I read that, and I guess, I don't know why, but I kind of put myself in the disciples' shoes. What do people always think? I got time. Well, maybe me, because I'm a procrastinator. I always think, I got time. I'll get to that. I think that's somewhat what the disciples were thinking, partly because they were sleepy. But Christ had been with them for roughly three and a half years at this point. He had told them more than once he's going to be crucified, and yet it just went right over their heads. So they think, I got time. You know what Christians think? We've been told how many times, countless times, the Lord's coming back. The rapture's coming. It's imminent. It could happen at any moment. Before we bow our heads and close out the service today, the Lord could catch us up together in the clouds with Him. We could be gone. We could be out of here. And as Christians, sometimes we, even though we know it, we also know that it's been 2,000 years since Christ said, I'm coming back. It's been 2,000 years since he said that we're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. So what do we think? While we know the fact that he could come back at any time, and we believe it-ish, but we don't live like we really believe it. And you know what? Actions speak louder than words. So I, I read this and I think, 
boy, am I like the disciples? Do I live my life like I really believe he could come back at any moment? Because if I do, we want to we want him to find us doing something for him, right? We don't want to fi- we don't want him to find us twiddling our thumbs spiritually, not even having a faithful prayer life or being consistent in our time in his word or serving him or faithful to him. We want him to find us faithful. We want him to find us doing something for him. At the very least, we want him to find us faithfully walking with him. The disciples, they were caught asleep when he came to them and said, all right, time's up. I don't want him to find me sleeping when he catches me up in the clouds and I show up and I'm going, oh no, I wasn't ready. I mean ready because I'm saved, but I wasn't ready because I was not as faithful as I wanted him to find me when he took me off this earth. And, and I do believe, so let me, let me say two things here. One, I might add, but for now we're going to go with two. One, I believe that the Lord is probably going to rapture us off this earth in my lifetime. At the very least in my kids, but I, I think it's probably sooner rather than later. Two, the Bible tells us to be watching and ready. So whether it actually happens in my lifetime or not, I'm to be living my life as though it will happen any moment. That's how he wants us to live our lives. But in all honesty, I do believe that we're probably on the welcoming committee. And that's a pretty cool honor. I mean, that's a pretty special honor. For 2,000 years, people have been told to live as though they're on the welcoming committee. We're actually on the welcoming committee. We get to go to him without having to deal with some of the, some of the, I guess, I don't know, some of the things that others have had to deal with. Uh, You know, we don't have to deal with the death that maybe we might have to otherwise. But you know what? That should motivate us. Because who do we know, who do we love that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior? If Christ comes back right now, you know what? It's too late. It's too late for them. If he comes back in five minutes, it's still too late. Five hours, maybe we have a chance. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior and he comes back right now, it's too late. So, the disciples, their time was up. Now, I understand it was their time to pray in this moment. So, seemingly, that's not as drastic as, well, they were on their way to hell, or it's not as drastic as the rapture and him, them being found doing nothing. But it's still pretty drastic. Mark 13, 33 says, Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Kind of jump the gun on that, 13.33. Then give you a chance to turn. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. He's coming back. We don't know exactly when, but you know what we do know? It's soon. It's coming. In verse 50 of our passage, in Mark 14, you know what they all did? You know what he told them they would do? Verse 50 says, and they all forsook him and fled. 
He knew exactly what they were going to do. They all will die with thee tonight before we'll forsake you. Well, how many times have we, in our emotions, thought, well, I'll die before I'll not spend one day without praying, or I'll die before I go a day without getting into my Bible, or, you know, there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing this. The rest of my life, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to witness to one person every day, or give out one gospel track every day, or you name it. The commitments that we, in our, in our emotions, make thinking that I'm going to do this from now on. I will never miss a day. I am going to do this for God. And five minutes later, no. Maybe it's five days or five weeks or five months or maybe it's five years. But eventually, Elijah and I were talking about that some this morning before church. How when people are new Christians, the fervor and the fire and the zeal that they have to get into the Word of God and to know their God, to know His Word. Um, there's a... a a man who's in heaven now. We listen to his podcast sometimes, and he, he talked about that, and he shared out of Revelation when it says, you've left your first love. And he was talking about when he first got saved. You know, he had long hair, and I don't remember if he had earrings, and he was, he was from Miami, Florida, and he was like a surfer bum, kind of. Uh, and, and it's funny, because as he, and he was 60-something years old, 50-something years old, when I was listening to him preach, and he still had a little bit of that surfer dude kind of lingo. Like, it was kind of funny to listen to sometimes. But anyways, he's, he was talking about how he, God convicted his heart. He'd been pastoring for a few years. And uh, after he got saved, he lived with somebody else for a while because his parents moved away from Florida. But he was in school, and his youth leader offered to him to stay with them for while he finished up school. So when he moved out several years later, the youth leaders reached out and said, hey, we, we're cleaning out our attic because we're selling our house and we found a box of your old journals. And they said, do you want us to send them to you? And he said, yeah. So he, he gets them in the mail and he puts them in the closet somewhere and he kind of forgets about them. And after a while, he's in the closet doing stuff, cleaning stuff out, and he finds this box. And he takes out his journals. And he's like, oh, I never did look through these. So he starts looking at them, reading through some of the things he wrote. And as he's reading, he said, God pricks his heart and convicts him. Because he said that fire, that zeal, that hunger he had for the Word of God and for his Savior, now... 15, 20 years later, he's been saved all these years. He's now a pastor. He's studying for messages all the time. And he's just, he goes, I got my little Christian haircut. I got my little Christian outfit. I got my little Christian lingo now, language that I know how to speak. And he said, I've checked all those boxes. But he said, that hunger and that fire that I used to have to walk and commune with my Savior, he goes, it's not there like it was. And he'd started to weep because he said he realized he had left his first love. His walk with God was not what it had been when he first got saved. And sadly, that happens over and over and over again with Christians. You get saved, 
and we've got this hunger and this fire and it's praise God and we want to read the Bible through a thousand times in a year and we just want to know and we want to know him and we want to grow with him and as time goes on we get complacent and we get uh, content what weary and well-doing well yeah we, all those things kick in is that a justifiable excuse absolutely not no it should never wear off why well for starters, because what we have in Christ, we do not deserve. And because we don't deserve it, that alone should be enough motivation for us to never cool down, but to stay hot for the rest of our lives. But the reality is we are, we are a Laodicean church age. That's what we're living in. When, when the, the last letter to the churches in Revelation chapter 3, he says to the Laodicean church, you're lukewarm. We're a lukewarm age of Christianity. Is that a good excuse? No. Not at all. But that's the age we live. So what do we do with that knowledge? We say, well, I don't want to be a Laodicean Christian. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. But I want to be an on fire for my God Christian and give him everything I am and all that I have. That's what we should do. But, you know, it's, it's not easy. All right, Proverbs 24.10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. When things are hard, if we faint and throw in the towel, according to Proverbs, our strength is small. We are weak. I don't want to be weak spiritually. All right, so the results of a lack of prayer, a weak prayer life is going to be a lack of concern for the things of God. Verses 66 to 72, uh, down here it says, and as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew, and the maid saw him again, and began to say to, to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again, and a little after they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear. You know what I think when they said thy speech agreeeth too? What they're saying is, you don't talk like all these people who aren't Christians. You're not cussing and you're not swearing and you're not, you, know, you don't sound like them. So what's he do? But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Verse 72, And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Maybe sometimes that's us. We find ourselves not doing what we know we should do, or doing what we know we shouldn't. And we kind of know, but we ignore. You know, we call it grieving the Holy Ghost, or quenching the Spirit. And finally, God does something that gets our attention, and we're like, oh. We find ourselves like Peter, weeping. So a weak prayer life, not a good thing. It's going to result in a lack of, a lack of concern for the things of God. It's gonna, we're going to look at one more here in a moment, but it also results in weakness when it comes to temptation. We'll see that in a moment. 
Fifthly, Christ charged. Oops, went wrong way. Fifthly, oh, I'm a little behind. Christ charged to pray. He tells him in verse 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. There's our, there's our verse. Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The, the consequence of not praying is going to be, when temptation comes, we're going to enter in. According to James, temptation's not sin. It's, it's when lust hath conceived that it bringeth forth sin. Yeah, when he's drawn away, right. So the temptation's not the sin, it's entering into the temptation. It's being drawn into the temptation that makes it sin. Well, a weak prayer life is going to result in us being weak when the temptation comes. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. You know what we talk about? Galatians 5, we talk about feeding the spirit or the flesh. I think that's what the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Well, if we're feeding the flesh more than the spirit, who's going to win over when temptation comes? But if we have a faithful prayer life and we're strengthening the inner man and the spirit is strong and has control, then, well, we're going to be much better equipped. So we've seen the consequences of a weak prayer life. Christ specifically says, lest ye enter into temptation. We don't want to enter into temptation. We must be faithful prayer warriors. It is our guard against temptation. In the model prayer, Matthew 6, 13, Christ said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because prayer helps us to prepare spiritually for what we will face throughout the day, David said, I like this one, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's where we live sometimes, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. So what do we do? We seek him early. Our soul thirsts for him. Sometimes we think it thirsts for something else, and we want to try to appease that thirst with the world. David knew better. He sought him early. Well, he didn't always know better. A couple times he made the mistake and paid the consequences for it. So it would do us well if we start our day with the Lord. So is prayer important? Absolutely. You know what I love about that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer? I love the last verse. 391 in the hymn book. I love that last verse when it says, I almost could quote it, but, till from my Pisgah's lofty height, the second line, I view my home and take my flight. It says, this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. You know, when we're with the Lord, we won't have to pray like we pray now. That's exciting. We'll be able to see him face to face. I like that hymn, face to face. Uh, but in a, in a sad sense, our opportunity to pray will be gone. We won't have time to pray anymore. When that happens, will we have prayed all that we ought to have prayed during our time here? Will we have taken the time to pray? So if you think about it, 
probably all of us, if we were honest and had an open heart and mind, could say there's some things that I really ought to probably be praying about that maybe we're not faithfully praying about. I know I share this, I've shared this several times, but I'm just going to quickly run through it as quickly as I can. Uh, when Pastor Wiley was a kid, there was a lady in his church that for 30 years, every Wednesday night for prayer meeting, asked for her two sons to get saved. 30 years. And it was to the point where a lot of the kids, every time her hand went up, they would, oh, I want my sons to get saved. You know, they would kind of mock it a little bit. But you know, at her funeral, both her sons walked the aisle and trusted Christ as their Savior. It took 30 years, and she didn't get to see it this side of eternity, this side of heaven, but she did have her prayers answered. We need to be faithful to pray. And we should not be weary in well-doing. Sometimes we think, well, I've been praying for this for 10 years, or for 20 years, or for 30 years. Why am I going to keep praying? God hasn't answered. Well, he did that lady's prayer 30 years, and he answered. Maybe there's something that we are neglecting to pray about or to pray for that we need to faithfully pray for. Maybe our prayer life has just been weak, and the result is we have also been weak when it comes to temptation. I'd encourage us, work on our prayer life. And, you know, you start praying more consistently today, doesn't mean that the temptation is going to be gone tomorrow, okay? It might take some time. It might be that we got to be consistent and faithful in prayer for a little while before God really starts giving us victory over the things that we maybe someone's struggling with. But I'd encourage you, don't think, well, I guess this isn't worth my time, and stop praying. Prayer is more than worth our time. I can't remember who it was. It was some old pastor said something to the effect of, I have so much to do. It would be unwise for me to tackle the day or start my day without several hours in prayer. Uh, it was. That's a, yeah, Martin Luther Spurgeon, I think. Some of those guys said, yeah, and, uh, you know, why is that? Well, because he knew that if he was going to run his day without ample time in prayer, things weren't going to go very well. You ever have days where you have so much to do and you just can't get it all done? How was your prayer life that morning? <laughs> you know, just saying. Uh, may maybe you wouldn't have got it all done anyways. I mean, I'm not saying that's a guarantee. I'm just saying if we didn't have good prayer time that morning, Maybe that has a lot to do with why it didn't all get done. I could keep going, but uh, only so many different angles we can approach the same truth from. How is your prayer life? I'd encourage us, if we don't have a strong prayer life, start working at it. What's the biggest thing you can do to work at it? Well, for starters, make the time every day to spend with God. Well, I don't have the time. I understand. Nobody has the time. you got to make it. Schedule it in. Whether it be five minutes to start, ten minutes to start, begin building the habit every day. I'm not going to start my day until I take this much time to pray. Keep a prayer list. I can't pray for more than a couple minutes. Keep a prayer list. Every Wednesday night, 
I got to put it on band. I have them sitting at my desk at home. I just got to type it up, and I was gonna, I'm gonna work on a handout too. Um, just keep a prayer list. Write them down. Pray through them. Maybe it gets to the point where the list gets so big, you can't pray through it every day because it takes too much time. Divide it up. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I got a friend. He's a member at Church Hill. Every time I see him, well, not as much as he used to, but almost every time I see him, he says, Hey, Pastor Pelkey, how are you? I want you to know I pray for you every single day. He said, I pray for all the pastors up here in Maine that we know. He says, well, except for Sunday. He goes, because that's, he goes, I take one day off a week from praying for all the main pastors. And he said, Sunday, because I'm getting ready, I'm praying for the service, I'm, but he said, every, six days a week, he said, I pray for you specifically. And he said, I just want you to know that. Brother Cottle, down in North Oklahoma, texts me often, praying for you. Pretty much every day, he's praying for me, for our church, for my family. Uh, prayer is so important. I believe the reason we are where we are as a church, looking at our, you know, preparing for our building project and God's blessing, answer to prayer. Didn't just happen. Prayers, whether it be my prayers, people in our church's prayers, other people's prayers, like Brother Cottle, Brother Paul, Jones, prayer, not Jones. His daughter's Jones because she's married, so I can't think of what his last name is, but... Anyways, let's go ahead and pray. Let's take a couple moments. And uh, Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing you give us. Thank you, for, thank you for the gift of prayer. Lord, it's a responsibility, yes. It's something that we are to practice and invest the time in. But, Father, it's a, it's a privilege and it's a blessing to be able to commune with you in prayer. And that's how we should see it, as a, as a privilege. And we can, we can commune with you because your Son, Jesus Christ, came, died, rose again, and is our mediator so that we can go directly to you as individuals. Couldn't do that in the Old Testament. Not like we can now. But Father, I could be driving down the road. I could be sitting in my backyard. I could be working in the garden. I could be standing in front of the grill. I could be running lumber through a table saw or a chop saw. Whatever it is, Lord, we can be doing. And yet we can still commune with you and fellowship with you in prayer. Lord, we can bear our burdens through prayer. When times are tough, when life is hard, when struggles come, we can bring our cares to you. In Peter it says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Lord, we can bring them to you and lay them at your feet and trust that you've got everything under control. Lord, what a gift, what a privilege, what a blessing. I pray we wouldn't take it for granted, but I pray that we would be faithful to spend the time with you in prayer every single day, even to start our day in prayer. And Lord, help us to have a close, a sincere, a passionate prayer life and walk with you. Before we close the prayer, is there anyone that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I can't say for sure, 
that I'm on my way to heaven, if Christ were to come back right now, before we close the service, if Christ was to come back, do you know for sure that you would be, you would meet him in the air? Maybe you're here and you'd say, I can't say that that's me. I can't say that I would go to heaven. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe between you and God, you'd say, my prayer life is weak. No, we have some young people here. I'd encourage you to consider how is your prayer life. Prayer is not just for adults. It's not just for older folks. It's for Christians. For people who know Christ as their Savior. And if you know Christ as your Savior, we should work to have a strong prayer life. Just take a couple minutes, give folks little time to pray and then I'll close this out in here in just a couple minutes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each person that's here today. Thank you that we can come together, we can assemble, have time to look into your word and study it and consider what your will is and what you have for us. And Father, I, I pray today that we see some things in this passage that we can learn from. I pray we wouldn't be like the disciples in this instance and sleep and slumber when we should be faithfully praying. But Lord, help us to be faithful prayer warriors. Help us to be diligent in our time with you, in our prayer life. Help us to walk with you. Help us to commune with you. Help us, Lord, not to take prayer for granted or to consider it lightly, but Lord, help us to be faithful to pray. There are so many things, Father, in this life that decisions that need to be made, situations that are going to come, that are going to arise, hardships that we deal with, friends, family, church family, loved ones that are dealing with situations. Lord, there are so many reasons for us to be diligent in prayer. But Lord, all we need for a reason is that it's a place we, we go to commune and fellowship with you. But Lord, we have many reasons to pray. I pray as Christians we would not take it lightly, but that we would be diligent, consistent, and faithful in our prayer life. Help us to make the time, make it a priority that we spend time with you in prayer. Lord, I pray you bless the food through our bodies, bless the fellowship, bless the remainder of our day. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you for all you do for us.